0: I'm Leslie Manukian, President of Health Freedom Defense Fund. Here with me today is Carolyn Blankman. Did I say that right? <laughs> Doesn't have an N in it, right? Nope. Okay, Carolyn Blankman of the former Feds Group Freedom Foundation, who is working on a bunch of different projects. One of them that I really want to talk about today is the COVID-19 Humanity Betrayal Memory Project, which documents the literally atrocities committed by our, home, our hospitals and their protocols that they forced on patients during the last three years in crisis, supposedly in service to the protection of the health care workers. I really want to talk about this. It's so moving. I also have personal experience with this, I believe. Um, anyway, welcome to the show, Carolyn. It's a delight to have you today. Thank you for having me. It's great to be with you. Will you tell people a little bit more, you know, share with our audience a little bit more about who you are and what you do?
1: Yes, I'm, I'm the media director and legal liaison for former Feds Group Freedom Foundation. And we are a nonprofit, been around since 2016. But as soon as the pandemic was announced, we focused all of our energy and projects on the crimes against humanity that's being per- perpetrated against American people regarding the regarding COVID. Um, we started documenting stories. We knew that we needed to preserve the historical record about what's happening to these people in the hospitals, mainly concerning, concerning the, the COVID protocols. So we built this project, the COVID-19 Humanity But Memory Project, where we have a large database, it's searchable, and we document um, all these stories of people dying and some surviving, not very many, um, of the protocols or the jab injured. So. Um, a victim will, or a victim's family member will go to our website, fill out the form, and then schedule a live recorded interview with us. We um, then build a case file, and we get all the details in the, case, in the file, and then put the interview in there, and then a written account in there that we verify that's a true and correct story, and we publish it to our website. You can search by city, um, state, uh, date, drugs used, and what we're finding is People are being murdered in the hospital. There's no doubt in my mind. They're not getting informed consent. They're using experimental medications. Um, they're being tortured, st- um, tied down to the bed, starved, dehydrated, gaslit. They're, they're alone. They die alone. They're pushed to be on a ventilator. They're, there's fraudulent DNRs. I mean, it's like you're in the twilight zone when you're doing these interviews. I did the first about 100 of them, and we have over 700 in our database now with hundreds waiting to be interviewed. Um, every day we have five or 10 more. I mean, that the never stops.
0: And those are just the people who found out about you.
1: <laughs> right, right. And we're one, you know, we're one organization. We have a team of, of interviewers. After we started, it started growing and growing. So we started a task force, a volunteer citizens task force nationwide. So we've got a panel of interviewers. We've got record reviewers. We've got um, media people. We've got um, writers, Substack writers, editors, um, legislation committee. Um, we've got state chairs in each state, and so they're organizing. Then we've sprouted off and made their own COVID nineteen humanity betrayal project for each state, so they can put their victims. So they can start organizing and post in that website. You know what's going on in their state concerning legislation and and um, events or rallies. So it's it's really Taking off, we work with attorneys to try to help them get accountability, and the attorneys like to work with us because we can provide a bunch of services, help reduce the risk of billable hours by helping them with their records reviewing, um, getting doc, doing the first you know part of the case by getting the case file put together and their um, video testimony, so they don't have to take the time to do the initial consult and help them get the record all that stuff we do, can do that for them then we can help them manage their social media accounts um whatever they need you know we we we're here to help these cases move forward as the best we can but yeah. Yeah, the stories are horrific
0: yeah um i can share my personal story of what happened it was quite shocking and i didn't really fully understand what was happening in the middle of it but i certainly do in retrospect but what i want to ask you first about is you said that you found it in 2016 could you i mean No one in the United States in particular, but I think arguably the whole world could have envisioned the kinds of measures that were literally foisted upon the supposedly free public of the Western um, countries. Why did you start in 2016 and what was your objective in 2016?
1: Well, I personally wasn't with um, the foundation back then, but I can tell you the story of how it was created. Um, Our founder is a former federal prosecutor of 21 years. He was with the DOJ and the FBI and he started seeing the corruption in the government. You know, they were asking him to sweep cases under the rug and get rid of them. And he's like, I can't do that. Um, they offered him, you know, high paying positions, lots of money to, to go along with this corruption. He's, he's an ethical man. He said, absolutely not. You know, he's got kids and soon to be grandchildren probably. And so he left and ironically he was audited after that, (laughs) but you know, stalker, um, but of course, he survived. <laughs> um, so he he um, he started. He built a brand around being a former Fed. He opened a law firm um, to represent people that were being um, persecuted wrongly from the corrupt government. Like he's got um, several January Six clients right now. Um, What's so his name, Carolyn? Brad Geyer. Okay. So he started the. Um, the foundation, former feds group freedom foundation and started doing humanitarian projects around the world. He did, um, several in Vietnam. And, uh, then when, like I said, when the COVID pandemic started, that's, he was like, "Okay, we're just going to change gears and go with this because this is way too big and we need all hands on deck. And that's how we got started with that. But, you know, we, if you go to the old website, you can see like the, um, he was working on their infrastructure in Vietnam. So he would do like a helmet ahead project because they'd have, you know, they all ride scooters and they'd have a whole family on a scooter and the little kids wouldn't have helmets. So he, you know, he started um raising money to buy helmets for the kids over there, mm-hmm. teaching them how to swim. I know there's a lot of um high school, American high school students that went over there to teach the little ones how to swim because water is a big part of their, of their life over there, but they don't, some of the kids just, they are having a lot of drownings and stuff. So he he has real strong ties to to the Vietnamese culture. And it was was kind of ironic because he was in Vietnam when they announced COVID. And um, he kept hearing, you know, we need more ventilators. You know, New York needs more ventilators. We're running out of ventilators. And one of the doctors he works with over there, I think her name is Dr. Two. I think I'm getting that right. He's like, we got to get y'all some ventilators. America is running out. Y'all don't have any. This this virus is coming. And she said, why would we want ventilators? This is a inflammation disorder. This is a blood disorder, clotting disorder. What are you going to do? Stick them on a ventilator that they're never going to get off of and shove this down further in their system? And he was like, that was kind of his aha moment. Oh, my gosh. They're killing people. Because what he was hearing over there and what they, our government was telling us over here was totally different. And so that's an the
0: time... Point. How did he go from thinking, oh, wow, they're doing a radically, taking a radically different approach in Vietnam to what they're doing in the United States? How did he go from that to their killing people? Because we had
1: 50 or 60,000 deaths already, and Vietnam Vietnam had a less than 100. Um, yeah, and, and about that time, I was a political blogger before I got involved with Postilion, but um I personally, I lost a daughter in 1995, and they had, you know, of course, the media had everybody panicked that everyone's going to die. You know, your parents are going to die. You know, they had the little ticker on the screen on your television, the, the, the refrigerator trucks, and I literally just went obsessively into research because I could not, the thought of going through that grief again after losing a child and thinking I could lose my husband or my, my sister or my parents... It was too much. So I was on a on a mission to find a treatment or something that worked to save my family. And I did. And the. the, Oh, about March of 2020, I had studied every protocol across the world. I mean, I saw what was working and it was so clear. Ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine worked and I flew to Mexico and right on the shelf next to the toothpaste over the counter is Ivermectina. And mm-hmm. I bought it up and I brought it home. And then when my husband and I caught COVID in uh, December, 2020, the, the minute we woke up and felt achy and didn't have a taste or smell, I'm like, here, take this. We took one ivermectin and one hydrosynchloroquine. I ran and got tested a PCR, which I didn't get back for days, but our, we were symptom free in three hours. And that was my aha moment. I'm like, this is what everyone's dying for. This is what everyone is freaking out about. Mm-hmm. I, he's like, "Do you feel okay?" I'm like, "I feel fine. I don't understand." And then you see the media start going on this mass disinformation campaign against those two drugs. You know, ivermectin won the Nobel Peace Prize. It's given to children for lice and scabies. I mean, I'm like, why are they calling it a horse base? I don't understand. It has been used for 40 years in human beings. You no, know, that was I was like, okay, I know what's going on. Yeah. So, um, in November of 2020, I wrote my first blog on the censorship of these medications. And somehow that little blog found its way from Texas to New Jersey, into this hands of this former federal prosecutor. And at the time he started suing Facebook for censorship of early treatment. And he was impressed with my research and because I was obsessive about it. um, And he he contacted me, he said, I want you to be on the Zoom call. We're gonna discuss this Facebook case. People all over the world, Brazil, Canada, UK, America, I can't remember, Ireland. And he started talking about his case, knowing he was going to lose. I mean, he's going up against Facebook and, but wanted to get certain, there certain things in the record. And I think it's exhibit 46 or a hundred or something in the suit. And sure enough, what he wrote in 2020 in the Facebook suit has come true to now. And so you know we'll be referring back to that but it's it's been terrible and we just watched it slowly get worse and worse and our numbers rise and india country you know cities and country they're just
0: they're just yeah, um, you-
1: completely covid free
0: yeah africa i mean huh, interesting uh-huh. <laughs> no problems there the us is the highest death rate i think in the world go figure yeah, the it- expensive healthcare system um in absolute terms as a percentage of gdp um, per capita, and yet we have the worst outcomes.
1: Yeah, okay. Vietnam did not even lose people until we dropped the Vax bomb on them. They went totally. from, the number was, I think, it's kind of, you know, not exact, but it's like between 500 and 1,000 COVID deaths for the entire time. And then they got the dra- the Vax bomb dropped on them and it, they shot up to 40,000 deaths. Like, Well, our research overnight. shows
0: that there were about 433,000 excess deaths in 2022 before the shots were introduced. But the question is what caused those? And the thing is, let's remember that they were changing, that CDC instructed um, coroners and hospitals to change how they uh, categorize deaths. And anybody who died from, with COVID was deemed a COVID death, even though they didn't die from COVID. So right. you had stage four cancer and they would literally, after you died, they would test your body. I mean, crazy. And if it was a positive PCR, which is not even in a test, um, then they would categorize you as a COVID death. So
1: anyway, so
0: how did you, um, I understand what happened to you that you went to Mexico and you saw this and you took it when you had the first symptoms, but what made you even start thinking about medical freedom or health freedom or, you know, how did you, Because I'd
1: I'd gone, I know what that level of grief feels like, um, it's, it's a grief that, when your whole world is taken, you know, it's different, excuse me, when you, when you have your elderly grandfather, um, die and you're kind of accustomed to the circle of life. It's natural. But when someone's taken from you at the wrong time by the wrong people in the wrong way, it's a kind of grief that it's really hard to come back from. And I almost didn't. And I knew when I started seeing these people suffering And I knew that they didn't have, you know, their loved one didn't have to die. I was like, I've got to help these people. Mm -hmm. You know, this is our government and big pharma killing our own citizens. I mean, it was so clear to me that this was so corrupt. And we if we didn't stand up as American people and stop this, what are we going to have left? I mean, at this point, I think silence is complicit and I think everybody should be standing up. There's too much evidence out there. And, there, and so many people are suffering. It's just unbelievable.
0: Yeah. So why don't we drill down? Can you tell us, can you give us an example of a story or two that you've heard? And maybe you've heard the same thing over and over again, but I, would, I think it'd be great if you would share some of the stories with us so that people can understand. I can tell you a little bit about what happened to my family. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that I thought was the most um, uh, just shocking, glaring was that uh, my father-in-law was put in the hospital in Twin Falls an hour and a half away from where we live and when we went to go and visit him because he had not gotten the vaccine they put a yellow star on his door jam to get in to go to to basically denote that he was unvaccinated to all yeah. the nursing staff I couldn't even believe it
1: they clearly are discriminating against the unvaccinated yeah. when really if you look at this The real stats, it's the vaccine that are dying at a record number. Um, You know, it's messenger RNA, it's not even a vaccine. It's gene therapy and it gives your body the instructions to produce the spike protein. I mean, exactly the dangerous part of the COVID virus. So why you would do that, I I never figured out, but the media (laughs) and the politicians are so good at brainwashing people and we've lost our ability to think critically, you know, operation warp speed, I'm sorry. I'm a huge Trump supporter, but I'm not running out and getting any virus, any kind of injection that's Operation Warp Speed, and especially a new technology.
0: I, I find think, it I so think. shocking that um, that Trump supporters do just run out. So many of them do go and get the shot, but also, you know, remember during the whole campaign, um, the Democrats, Biden and Harris. I mean, Harris was specifically saying, "There's no way in the world I'd get a shot that was." developed yeah. by Donald Trump and yet all the democrats i mean they have been far more compliant i think 90 plus percent of them have gotten the shot i'm like i just so don't say, yeah. <laughs> well that's that i absolutely do not believe the official data that is for sure yeah. um cdc keeps telling us that 92% of americans have gotten the shot and there's just no way because all the surveys show it's more like 68 69 70 71% i'd much rather listen to a person tell me in a poll whether or not they've had it than Um, than uh, the government. (laughs) I don't know one person. It's very strange that both sides, like that all of these conservatives just followed him. Can you imagine what conservatives would have done if Obama had been in the White House and and conducted Operation Warp speech? It would have been insane. They would have said no, no freaking way. Right. And yet so many of them fell in line. And then the flip side is they were all saying, you know, forget it. And as soon as Biden takes over, then they're all going to the shot. I'm like,
1: because the whole That's thing, so it became so political. I mean, if we lost the whole thing that this is medical, this has nothing to do with politics. This is what is best for your body. And, and it became, you know, they were using it for their campaign messages. And I think the the whole thing was so based on fear that they, the media did such a great job of scaring people to death. That when it was ready, they're like, the vaccine's ready. And so everyone swarmed out. Yeah, You know, it was just a fear mongering, you know, controlling. And then the mandates, I mean, like, you're going to lose your job. Or you're gonna do so I think we call I don't it, know it one person. A psy-op. That got
0: the,
1: oh, it's total psyop, <laughs> total psyop. And I don't know one person that's gotten the jab that's not injured and different levels of injury. I mean, we've got 3,400 in our vaccine injured support group. 20 of which have killed themselves
0: in the last three months. Oh my gosh. It's heartbreaking. Well, I know lots of people who have seem to have no symptoms and have gotten it, but I also know lots of people who have seemingly died or had cardiac arrest and lots of other things. Yeah. So listen, let's go back to the hospitals. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about, um, I have heard secondhand about the stories that are being told in your groups And I think it is so important that we actually, um, you know, crystallize some of these things for our audience. So they understand what's really happening and what the stories really entail, because it's not just a mistake or an error. This is willful, willful. Um, Is it malpractice? It's not negligence. It's willful malpractice. It's something very different, right? Negligence is being careless and, and making a mistake or forgetting, but I mean, So why don't you tell us? Can you think of a story off the top of your head? Yeah. and just share a couple with us about you know what happened to these people. Just really drill down for us so we can understand.
1: Well, we we took, um, I think it was the first 500, and we pulled some data out of there, and we found out the 25 commonalities that almost in exactly every single case of all of them, and those are not negligence those are absolute willful um conduct they are they are crimes you take the COVID things out take the the um the experimental drugs out and you still have starvation dehydration um issuing medications you've got people that go in there and get their nose broken they they're they're left on the floor lose 80 pounds in, in three weeks i mean just unbelievable so i'll tell you one I'll start with a survivor. We have very few survivors in our and the only reason that this person survived is because the husband was a nurse previously and he saw what was going on. They knew something was wrong because the day that she walked uh, walked in there on room air, um, the doctor asked her asked her if she was vaccinated, and she said no, she was going to wait till some more safety data comes out. She worked at home, you know, was very polite about it. He patted her on the hand and said, I'm sorry, you're going to die. And she was like, what? I didn't come here to die. I don't feel like I'm going to die. Um, So she calls her husband and she's like, they just told me that I was going to die. And he's like, what? Let me talk. Of course, these people are completely isolated from their family or any kind of advocate. And she
0: was admitted for COVID?
1: Yes, but she was unvaccinated. So that's, that's the plan. Because the hospitals are highly incentivized.
0: Mm-hmm, to totally.
1: use this protocol, you know, they're, each body, depending on the state you're in, is worth 100 to 200 thousand dollars a person. If you yeah. have a COVID admission, um, use remdesivir, get 20 percent bonus on the entire hospital bill. Then, if you put on a ventilator, you get another 39 thousand. Then, if it's COVID death, um, you get another, you know, large payment. So she, she was like, "You're fired. I need a a doctor that knows what he's doing because I didn't come here to die. I, f- I don't feel like I'm going to die." She didn't get food for 13 days. She didn't get water for seven. They told her she was going to die every day. She fired her doctor every day. He came back every day. Um, she told them no remdesivir, no remdesivir because she knew. Um, and she said, "Okay, finally by a weekend." She said, "You told me I have a terminal illness. I want my. I want my um, priest. She's Catholic. I want my, you know, my last rites and your um, what your, your priest to pray with me." And they said, no, you can't have a priest unless you take remdesivir. Blackmailed, So she's like, I got to get my priest in here. So she goes, okay, I'll take it. She got one dose. She said it felt like fiberglass going down her, her, her inner body, like prickly. I and mean, I've heard that from more than one person, several people. And that her heart was hurting. And uh, she... Uh, the next day, she, her priest came in. She goes, I knew I was going to make it after that. But um, then, then she says, I don't want remdesivir anymore. And they were mad. And they they even wrote in her medical records, agreed to take remdesivir if, we, if she was allowed to see a priest. Now she's refusing. They faked her DNR, for completely fraudulent. She was like, I'm not a DNR. And they're like, yes, you are. No, I'm not a DNR. Yes, you are. I mean, it's just like I'm telling you. It's like, it's unbelievable.
0: Um. Can I just say for, so that everybody knows a DNR is a form that you're supposed to sign that says, I do not want to be resuscitated. Do not resuscitate. If I lose consciousness, if I have a heart attack or whatever, it means do not resuscitate this individual. And no one can give you a DNR except for you yourself or your medical power of attorney. So that's what Carolyn is speaking of.
1: Yes. She wanted to be resuscitated and so she's like, I'm not a DNR. And they're like, yeah, you are. I mean, how do you tell someone? <laughs> it's just, it's unbelievable. So um, her oxygen would come unplugged and she would ring her bell or buzzer buzzer hours would go by. So she's finally like, help, help, you know, cause she's needed oxygen. Nurse walks in, hits her. I can't keep coming in here. You're unvaccinated. And she's like, Oh, well, my the tube is out of the machine. I need air. Um, so she, she completely, I said, isolated. She finally gets to talk to her husband. Um, I think it was via text message. And she's like, they're killing me. You have to come get me. He called the police. He asked the police to go inside and do a um, a welfare check on his wife. He's like, why would we need to do that? She's in the hospital. She's fine. He's like, no, she's not Go in there and do a welfare check. So the police, you know, puts on all the PPE, goes in there. And he said, your husband wanted me to come in and check on you. She's like, you have to get me out of here. They're going to murder me if I'm in here. And then he said, I don't have a protocol for this. And he left. <laughs> and um, so the husband thankfully sees him in the parking lot. And then the cop tells him what she said. He calls back. He said, honey, do you want to go home with me? And she said, yes, you have to come get me. They're going to kill me. He goes, I'll be there at nine o'clock in the morning. So usually the the um, The ICU doors are locked, her bedroom's locked, her room is locked, and it's impossible to get in. Happened to be, I think God was there that morning because the the ICU doors happened to be open that day. And that same day, every morning, this guy came and did chest x-rays and he pushed his card in and he looks, he goes, oh, you're not on the list today. And he pulls his card out and it caught. So her husband, was up, those, up the elevators through that ICE door and into her room faster than they could even catch. Barricades himself in the room. Proceeds a six-hour standoff with the cops. And yeah, epic times to a whole documentary on her story. It's insane. Um,
0: what state was this in, Carolyn? Texas. In Texas. Holy cow.
1: Yeah. Um, and he's like, I'm not leaving. So, I mean, she's got videotape of all this, too. You know, the cops out front, there's six cops out front of her door um, and her husband's in there, you know, just barricaded himself. Thank goodness he was a nurse, but he brought a bottle of oxygen um, and finally they they released. I mean, you. The, she told him, you're, you're going to either have to decide if I'm a patient or a prisoner today because this is medical kidnapping. I'm saying I want to go. My husband's saying he's going to take me. And he he knows what to do. And so, finally, they get them to release them, and he, the, the person said, oh, here, I'm going to take you a shortcut. Now, remember, her room was right above the door. He, that Her husband was up, in, and in. They took them down, probably what, wanting to you know, make her use up the, his, her, his small ball of oxygen, windy hallways, down two elevators, out the morgue doors, elevator where they take the bodies down, sending a sign. with. Yeah. The nurse going like this. Tapping his watch like you're going to run out of time. He goes, you'll be dead before you get home. So they made it home. He set up a whole mass unit in their living room and patriotic businesses opened up to make sure she had everything she needed. And she's here. She's our Texas state chair to tell you the story.
0: Wow. Had she
1: stayed there, she would have 100 percent. They would have killed her.
0: I had a um, woman on the show um, a few weeks ago, um, Amanda from Canada. She and her father was put in the hospital and she rescued him and saved him as well. Same kind of thing. But why were the police there? What's the ostensible reason that the police, six police are outside her door? What is the.
1: Because they were trying to get her husband. He wasn't allowed, you know, on the ICU unit of of the COVID floor. So. He walked in there. He put the drop the bill on the on the security guards um, desk. That was the uh, Texas no patient left alone um, bill or something. But see, there's you got to read your legislation because there's 100%. there's holes in it. So this bill was, looks great. But if you go down and read the fine print, it says, however, the doctor can um, keep you out. For five, you know, up to five days, but then can re-sign it for another five days and resign. It. So it's worthless legislation.
0: I mean, it's just a piece of paper. In fact, it's worse than no legislation. Yeah.
1: Yeah. People so uh
0: people sometimes want to wanna, you know, get legislation passed and they don't realize it. Sometimes it's better. A bad law is worse than no law.
1: So true. So true. So make sure, you know, if you think you've got a great bill, you better read every bit of it because it doesn't, it's not always that way. But, um, yeah, she, uh, she was going through, I think it was nine large bottles of oxygen a day because they have, they, what they do is they crank up the oxygen, over-oxygenate you. And it's, it's a drug. You get addicted to it. Um, and then that pushes you into the next levels of respiratory therapy. So we have uh, our Maryland state chair, her husband was, of course, she was completely isolated from her. Um, she, uh she called and said, I don't want him to have Severe, Talk to the doctor three days. It took the doctor to call her back. Um, you know, I want, I want ascorbic acid. And he's like, the doctor's like, that's just vitamin C. We don't do that here. <laughs> we don't do vitamin C. Um, but they rushed him through five levels of respiratory therapy in like four or five days. So there's, they blew a hole in his lung because that high flow um, and it's, and it's uncomfortable and so if you try to shift it then they strut, then they tie you to the bed um they when they went to um intubate him they tore his trachea mm. the thing the the pot, the tube was coiled so they don't expect you to live so it doesn't matter right and there's nobody in there to check it so you know and they think most people are just going to be like oh it's covid and just move on i think they underestimated these widows these parents that lost children, mm-hmm. these widowers, these parents, the kids that lost parents, because we're not rolling over. No. We, we are fighting. I mean, we just had a national rally in San Antonio this past weekend and it was epic. I can't even tell you. There was people from every state in the country, even Alaska, 500, it was 585, I think 585 victims all with shirts with their loved one on it and just a sea of people that have had the exact same story. So much so that you know our, our expert speakers, Dr. Artis and Tom Renz, they were, they were, Dr. Artis started crying on stage. He's like, I'm this event is unbelievable. I mean, usually it's just, you know, the, the events and the rallies where the experts speak and we hear them and one after the other, but we had victims telling their stories. 18 victims tell their stories at this event. And it, it was a very huge eye-opener for those that don't think that this is happening in hospitals because it is. Our, I'll um, tell you another one real quick, our um, Pennsylvania state chair, he also just um, created and built a records review system that is amazing, um, that's gonna help law firms. But his 33-year-old pregnant wife went into the hospital and they just had a well baby, and uh, you know, a uh, baby exam that they knew how old it was and they knew the size of it. Well, when they got to the hospital, the hospital told them it was like four weeks older and several pounds heavier. And then they were going to go ahead and deliver because she needed COVID drugs and stuff that, that wouldn't be good for the baby. They were like, that's not the baby's size. That's not the baby's age. And they were like, yeah, it is. We're, we promise. So they forced a delivery. And the baby was not that age or that size. They got it, survived. It went to NICU. So now they've got the mother, 30 years old, healthy, has three other kids, little kids. Um, they put her on a ventilator. They proned her. For Proning is when you're on your stomach for 219 hours without moving her. The maximum amount that you should ever leave someone proned is 12 hours. 219 hours. She had bed sores the size of dinner plates down to the bone. I mean, I can't even, it, it's just, so she dies and he has an infant now and uh, three other little kids that he's raising on his own. And that man is so amazing and and so motivated. He works full time, has four kids and he, I feel like he works for you know, volunteers for foreign feds even longer than he works. I mean, he's up all night building systems for help, you know, legal um, firms with these lawsuits and just unbelievable, unbelievable. But yeah, that she had any of these patients gone into the hospital and said, just give me some z pack, some ivermectin, you know, maybe a little um, a breathing treatment, budesonine, all, all of them would be alive. Most all of them would be alive. Unless they had stage four cancer, or you know, in kidney failure already, and a cold would take them down, COVID is not killing people. It's the protocols, one hundred percent.
0: Yeah, they most of them didn't need to, even need to go to the hospital. No, you know, I mean, Carolyn, this is just jaw dropping. It's hard for most of us who are decent human beings to even fathom that right. that the medical system, that people in the medical system, our nurses and doctors, would actually perpetrate these kinds of crimes. But Mm -hmm. I mean, I first hand experience that they lied about how many people were in the hospital. They, when we went to the hospital, it was more than half empty. It was. And they told us that, um, that um, they wouldn't let my father-in-law get up and move. So you don't tie someone to the bed. I don't know if he was tied to the bed, but they refused. They had someone standing at his door. And if he moved to try and get up, they would make him go back down. Mm -hmm. This is really unhealthy. This is the, absolute opposite of what protocols usually are for sick patients you want them to get up and move around especially people about 80 because otherwise they lose all their muscles they atrophy so terribly you know but i mean thank you so much for what you're doing and for sharing all this information with everybody what i'm really wondering is tell us about the lawsuits tell us how someone who's gone through this themselves can be helped you know tell us what you're doing to try and rectify the situation of although, although of course you can't rectify it and that you can't bring somebody back no. so what are you trying to do with all this information
1: well we have um a handful of brave attorneys already filing suits uh we have i have i went from having zero attorneys to having 42 in my database or my list um not all of them are taking cases yet but they're right there they're i think they're waiting for to see how these other ones go through i mean we do have the PrEP Act immunity, which, in my opinion, is completely unconstitutional. Um, but the California attorney, Matthew Tyson, has filed about 30 of our California cases. He's getting really close to getting getting them through. In fact, they have, he's got arbitrations scheduled in, um, in a, several of the cases in a few months. None of them have gotten dismissed yet, which is very hopeful. And he's mm-hmm. filing under constructive fraud fraud mm-hmm. of yeah. Um, and, uh, and elder abuse and medical battery and, um, breach of fiduciary duty, professional misconduct because the, the treatment, you know, the, the meanness of these doctors and nurses, I think they had to dehumanize themselves to be able to carry this out, but they're all threatened, you know, with, to get their medical license taken away, to be fired. And we've got to, you know, we've got many good doctors that said, okay, fire me, you know, I'm not going to go along with this.
0: Um, well, I think the thing we- is what they did in the, in the beginning, right. Was that they told them if they didn't get the shot mm-hmm. as well, then they would be fired. And so that left the ones who were left over thinking that, well, that's kind of okay. We can just do what we need to or want. Or people who won't get the shot, they don't deserve the same treatment. They don't right. des- deserve to be fired there. They were already canceled. And in some ways that plants the seed of doubt in the psyche of those who were left, I think.
1: Yeah. And they also were using, they got rid of a lot of the good nurses, the older nurses, and they brought in these first year medical students or these traveling nurses and paid them 4,000 a week. You know, you're right out of college, 4,000 a week, you know, you'll just do, you know, the CDC said to do it. The FDA said to do it. We're just going to be, but you know, we have a handful of whistleblowers that will tell you that they knew remdesivir was killing patients you know, you watch any of the videos early in the pandemic with um, nurse Erin or Nicole Saratek made those videos. She went undercover in the hospital yeah. crying, you know, they're killing my patients. They're killing my patients because the nurses are ones, you know, the, the doctor maybe sees them an hour a day and, um, you know, they they're being denied. The, the families are begging, give them some vitamin D, vitamin C, some fluid. When did you ever go in the hospital and not get, immediately get an IV for anything? You know, it's, it's, it defies all common sense and, and medical logic. Like you need, that's the first thing you learn when you have a virus as a kid. Your mom says, drink plenty of fluids. And <laughs> they're completely drying these patients out. And um, so, the, you know, the nurses knew what was going on. The doctors did too. Some of the good ones left, the ones that cared more about, I mean, we've got lots of stories where the doctor said, I'm on ivermectin, but I can't give it to you. My hands are tied. Tells yeah. the patients that.
0: Yeah. Um, Well, there were also many stories of just, you know, that the hospitals, this is what I heard, is that the hospitals actually got compensated as long as they adhered to the CDC-directed protocol. Right. And if they deviated from the CDC-dictated protocol one iota, then they could lose their compensation. And they they also lost their liability protection. So if they did what CDC told them to do, then they were safe and protected. But if they deviated at all, then they could be sued. And so... Correct. I mean, listen, it was very organized crime for sure. Oh yeah.
1: They, they thought this so, all the way through.
0: So what can people do if, if so, someone has a loved one who was, um, who died in the hospital and their loved one was deprived of nutrition and hydration and, uh, proper treatment, you know, all these kinds of things, what can they do?
1: Well, they need to go to our website, chbmp.org, fill out the document, my story. Um, we will contact you to schedule your interview. We need to get as many as possible, these cases on the record and into our database. You know, people might start to listen and you have 500, they're really gonna listen when you have 10,000, when you have 50,000, we win. I mean, there's, because every, there's just too many and people are now mad and they know what's going on. So the more um, cases that we can get in our, in our database, the better chance we have at winning and stopping this, um, we do have a team of um, amazing attorneys that are filing against Gilead for remdesivir, trying to get it um, pulled off the, the shelf and never used again. It's a failed Ebola drug, killed 54% of the, um, the patients in that trial. It causes kidney failure, liver failure. I don't know one person that's helped. Um, you know, they'll say, well, COVID gives you kidney failure. Well, then why didn't the rest of us at home that treated with hydroxychloroquine ivermectin have kidney issues? None of us. So um, they they are ready to file. The complaint's ready. It's amazing. They're filing under false advertisement so they can get around the PREP Act. Not well, what it does to the person, but you falsely advertise it did something it didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're trying to fundraise for that. I mean, going against um, big pharma is not going to be a cheap thing
0: they're gonna paper them to death we have i want to show you um but can can individuals actually come to you and get connected with an attorney who can help
1: yes. pursue so, their
0: specific case
1: so anyone that comes to us and got remdesivir severe i'll automatically put you in the remdesivir severe class action we do have a network of attorneys that are like i said a few are um picking up cases in different states and i've got 40 or so just ready to go just almost there. Um, I work with them all the time and I'm always looking for more always. Um, so we try our very best. we can't promise we'll get you an attorney, but we will try our very best to to get you one and to help that attorney um, with it whatever he needs. It's you know our founder being a former federal prosecutor and attorney himself, kind of modeled our task force around what can we do to help these firms reduce the risk of billable hours and help these cases go through? So whether it's fundraising or um, or records reviews or consultations, um, social media, whatever we can do to help the firms, we will. Um, I spend all day on the phone trying to find attorneys. We've got an um, amazing pair of attorneys, um, Dan Watkins and Michael Hamilton, that have picked up I think six or seven of our of our clients: Texas, um, California, Nevada, and Michigan. Um, we watched, we carefully watched their statutes. I've even helped file one pro se and then found an attorney later to, to pick it up because their statute, we got it in with 12 minutes to spare. It mm-hmm. was the most, it was the craziest thing. I've never done that before. And we got it in and it worked. Um, now
0: are these attorneys working pro bono or are is is your group funding them? Does the person, the individual or the family that's pursuing a claim, are they paying for it? How is this funded?
1: Well, so the um one of our attorneys in California has taken them all in constituency. The other the other ones, um, several have, and, or they'll work out a reasonable fee agreement, depending on the case. Um, so let
0: me just explain that contingency to all of our, our, our viewers is that we um, don't have to pay up front, but whatever you win, depending on what stage it is, then the attorney splits the proceeds, whatever damages might be uh, awarded with you.
1: Yeah. We always um, vet our attorneys. We don't want to send anybody, any of our our victims to someone that's going to say, hey, you need to give us five, ten thousand $10,000 up front and then skate, which has happened in the beginning when they didn't tell us they were talking to an attorney. Um, so every time I have one that says, okay, I want to work with you guys. I want to pick up some cases. our Our founder will call them, you know, talk to him about what, what they're going to charge up front or if they're going to do on contingency or, and I mean, reasonable fee agreements for these kind of cases that are never been done before mm-hmm. that are going against major medical, you know, medical systems and hospitals.
0: Is, I, going to the it. is the defendant, the doctor, is it the hospital system? Both. Hospital itself? Both. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um. Yeah. And so, you know, if it's, we, we, we do help them fundraise what we're doing right now. Let me show. We have, we made these um, medical alert bracelets. They've already saved several thousand uh, several lives um, on it. I just took mine off and I never take it off actually, but uh, I don't know if you can see it. Whoops. It says uh, allergic to remdesivir, barcetanin and fentanyl. So this is a legal medical directive. So if you have this on your body, We've had someone go in with hiccups. They said he had COVID. They put him on randesivir ventilator and killed him. So he was he was not, he did not have COVID. He just was intimate with his wife before he went in for hiccups. That's why he went in for hiccups. So, I mean, he felt fine. And um, he, he he often got like a chronic case of hiccups. They would go in, he'd go in and get this treatment and he'd be fine. No, but mm-hmm. they needed the COVID money. And so had he had one of these on and they're trimmable for any size, even to kid size, Stainless steel, I've had mine on for four months, shower in it, swim in it. That doesn't rest, it's brand new. They can't give it to you. So we stop the protocol. We so you know, I've had someone call me and said, I went in the hospital, I had my bracelet on, they immediately wrote in my chart allergic to remdesivir, barcinatin, and fentanyl. So what's the middle part? Barcinib, it's the other um experimental drug that they're giving people that's got 10 black box warnings and it's- horrible um it, it kills just like remdesivir does but yeah so one of the attorneys thought about this so all the money that, that um that people buy these goes to the fund the class action
0: That's so great.
1: yeah it's it was a fantastic idea so it saves lives it funds a class action and um we stop the protocol ourselves before a judge ever has to even do anything so yeah. I, we want like, we want a big donor where we can pass them out to free to everybody
0: mm-hmm. Can you remind everybody where they can find you? Of course. It's chbmp.org. And it stands for COVID-19 Humanity. Betrayal, Human Betrayal Memory Project. Yep.
1: C-H-B-M-P. Mm-hmm.
0: That's fantastic. Is there anything you want to um, leave our viewers with or any last words you want to share?
1: Just please, when someone tells you that they lost someone in the hospital, listen to them, believe them. It's like a, it's like another just shot to the heart when you, you are firsthand witness to a crime of your loved one getting murdered in a hospital. And then no one believes you and you're isolated. We have support meetings six nights a week to help keep these victims strong. Our Monday night one has over, you know, had 140 on last, uh, week before last, and we've got ones for parents only that lost children. We've got soul care. We've got night owl ones for the people that can't sleep. A lot of the widows, you know, are having trouble at night. Their house is empty. Their bed's empty. It's quiet, and they just want someone to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a book club. We do a game night once a month to try to you know have a little bit of fun. That's all virtual, you know. But um, we've got a men's only, uh, women's only survivors group. So you know, we really. You've come to us. We really try to take care of you as best we can. We try to get you an attorney the best we can and just offer you the support you need to get through this journey of of devastating grief and loss. Yeah. And then you can join our our task force. We need volunteers all the time.
0: Yeah. You don't have
1: to be, you know, a victim. You could definitely just be a person and that wants to help.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so very much for coming onto the show and for sharing um, those stories with us and Mm -hmm. What you're trying to do to rectify this. Um, humanity owes you a debt of gratitude and we're all thankful for you. Thank you for having me so much. My pleasure.